Matthew's Gospel, please, chapter 14. Just want to take this opportunity this morning to uh, thank everyone for your support and for your prayers with regards to the barn. I think it was maybe 10 months ago we stood up here, maybe 9 or 10 months ago, uh, and announced that we were going to give the barn another go. And I had no idea at that time how much the Lord was going to bless the barn, and he's blessed the barn beyond our uh, wildest dreams. And uh, we're thankful for your support. Um, just want to thank everyone for your prayers, for even for the puddings last Saturday, for uh, those that turn up to do the parking and the ladies that turn up to do the catering. And I certainly couldn't do it by myself. I got a, a very short text message after the last barn that we had there on the 21st, and it simply read, Robert, you have no idea how much your word of welcome meant to my daughter last night and to those that are praying for her. So we have no idea uh, what impact the barn is making on the lives of young people, but I do know this, that it's an oasis to them, and it's needed, and uh, we can thank God this morning for it. It's a vital work. We all know today that the devil wants to destroy our young people, and he's doing that, but our Savior wants to to deliver them. And we have all a part to play in that. And I want to thank you this morning for playing your part so well. And I really do appreciate it very much indeed. So Matthew chapter 14. And uh, we have in this chapter uh, the beheading of John the Baptist. Then we have the feeding of the the multitude. And verse 21 says this. And they that were eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus immediately, or spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come into thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and he beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your hand upon us in the year that has gone by. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord, today. Uh, We thank you most of all this morning uh, for the desire in our hearts to be in your house, under your word. And Lord, we just pray for a mighty blessing to fall upon every aspect of the work here, Lord, 
at the lifeboat, uh, Lord, the, the prayer meeting, the, the church meetings here on a Sunday, the, the barn, the, the children's meeting, the Sunday school. Lord, we pray that in 2020 there will be many souls added to the kingdom because of the work that goes on here. And we pray for a blessing from God uh, as we approach the new year. Now, Lord, we just pray that you'll bless us as we meet around your word this morning. And speak to us, we pray. And in spite of me, Lord, speak to your people today from your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many miracles recorded here in this chapter 14. We've just read about three of them. But just before this, we have the account of Jesus feeding thousands of people. Jesus preached to the people. He healed their sick and he fed them all. If they had a need, then Jesus was willing to meet that need. That day he met their spiritual needs as well as their physical needs. His words, you see, are backed up by his actions. Jesus was a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. The trouble with some in the church today is that their words are not always backed up by their actions. Some Christians, of course, are very good at sharing the gospel, but they also recognize that people have physical and have practical needs as well. Other Christians will give up their time to run food banks and visit the sick and stay out late at night to help drunks and drug addicts get home or at least make sure that a man or a woman who has no home is warm and dry. So we should all begin 2020 by being Christians like this, by being good neighbors and be doers of the word. Some of these people had walked the long way around the Sea of Galilee to meet the Lord Jesus while he sailed across the sea in a boat. They had families with them. They, they were tired and exhausted. Children were crying and many of them would have probably fainted on the way back. The disciples, they said, send them home. But Jesus says, no, we'll do no such thing. We'll feed them here. The disciples could see nothing, only impossibilities with that idea. After all, how could so many people be fed with so little food? All they had was a boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. So it was a serious problem. But it was no greater problem than the problem that we have today, which is sin. God dealt with the hunger problem that day on the shores of the Sea of Tiberias. And he dealt with the sin problem that we have on Calvary. Sin is a serious problem. Sinners are under the wrath and the condemnation of God. Sinners must be punished because God is a God of justice. But God dealt with that when his son took our place. He took our punishment and is offering his righteousness to us if we're just willing to hand over our sin to him. It was a miracle what took place that day, but no greater miracle than to make a spiritually dead man live. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said, to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy, and then to place that holy man back into an unholy world and keep him holy in it takes a miracle. But it is a miracle that God can do if we would just repent and trust in him. Jesus tells his disciples to board the boat again and to sail across to the other side. Meanwhile, he would send the crowd on their way and he would spend some quality time with his father in prayer on a mountain, far away from any distractions. You know, folks, as we approach a new year, we must all be following the Lord's example and spending some quality time with God every day in prayer far away from the hustle and bustle and the distractions of the world. Jesus obviously had a mountain of work to do. He was surrounded by people in great, great need, 
but he took time out to go to a mountain to pray. So being busy is not an excuse for not praying. So Jesus is alone here in prayer. It's now between three and six in the morning. This was an all-night prayer meeting, and the disciples are somewhere in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Actually, the Gospel of John says they were about three or three and a half miles out, and, and now all of a sudden they find themselves in this storm. This part of the story here actually has three miracles. First, Jesus walks in the water. Secondly, Peter begins to walk in the water. And thirdly, uh, the wind ceases immediately. So first of all, we see here the storm. You know, the gospel of grace is the simple solution to man's need of salvation. But if anyone was to tell you it's an easy thing to become a Christian, well, they just really haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Sometimes it means turning your back on your religion, on your friends, on your parents. Sometimes it means saying goodbye to a way of life and a whole culture. Sometimes it means persecution, and in fact, sometimes it means death. In Japan, for example, a typical family home has a shelf with many little idols and gods on it. And to become a believer in that country, it means that you're going to have to wipe that shelf clean and start afresh with Christ, and that can be a big deal for people in that country. To forget all about the things that you were once trusting in and to put your faith in just one God for your, your eternal life, that is a big deal. Hindus have millions of gods, so you can imagine how hard it is for a Hindu to turn their back on all those gods to put their trust in the one God of Christianity. In many ways, we're still in a spiritual bubble here. Many of us this morning have been brought up in the Protestant faith, and although that alone will not save you, it is one of the greatest blessings and privileges known to man. For a Protestant to die without Christ is a great opportunity missed and something that he or she will will regret for all eternity. So it's not always easy to become a Christian. And when you do make that step of faith, following Jesus Christ is not always going to be plain sailing either, as these disciples found out. Why is that? After all of Jesus' promises an abundant life, real life, eternal life, why is the voyage of that life not plain sailing? Why is it that, it that his people often find themselves in a storm? Why does it happen? Well, sometimes it is to correct us. As God did with, did with Jonah, you'll remember God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. He went in the opposite direction. He disobeyed the word from the Lord and he went to Tarsus. Jonah might even have thought that he was in the will of the Lord. After all, he, there was just a, a ship at that time going to Tarsus. He had enough money in his pocket to pay the fare. But we must be careful that our circumstances don't override what the Bible actually teaches, what God says. Jonah was being disobedient, and God sent a storm of correction to him. But friends, not every storm in our lives is a storm of correction. Take Job, for example. Job is described as being perfect and upright and God-fearing and a rejecter of evil. There, in fact, there was no one like Job, and yet Job found himself in a storm. He lost his children, he lost his livestock, he lost his health. So that wasn't a punishment for poor old Job. We find it often difficult to pray in a storm, and I'm sure you'll know that. But Job was in the worst possible storm any parent could possibly face, and yet We're told that Job fell down and he actually worshipped God. Look at the start here of this chapter 14. Look at John the Baptist. 
John was a faithful servant of God. He didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care about what people thought about him. He didn't care for the world's fashions. He wore a coat of camel's hair. He didn't care for whining and dining in expensive restaurants. He just ate locust and wild honey. He didn't care about the type of house that he lived in. He lived in the wilderness. And if he, if he was alive today, he probably, he certainly wouldn't have cared about what type of car he drove. He wasn't a friend of the world. He was a friend of God. And yet, John lost his head. So it's no new thing for God's people to meet with storms. And maybe there's someone here this morning and you're in a storm. Look at the disciples here in this storm. They weren't being punished. They had left all to follow the Lord. They had been busy with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had worked all day feeding thousands of people. Jesus had told them to get into the ship, go to the other side. They obeyed every single word, and yet they were still found themselves in the middle of the storm. The fact is, folks, obedience to the word of God often leads us through dark valleys. It can cost you your job, cost you your friends. It can cost your your fiancé. Jesus never said it would be easy, but he did say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He may not keep you from entering into the storm, but he will keep you when you are in it. The disciples were in the storm, and it looked like Jesus wasn't around to help. It didn't seem to them that he was even bothered, but the disciples were to learn that night that Jesus would never be out of the reach. He is greater than the storm, and he will always show up right on time. And maybe you are in a storm today. Maybe trouble at work, trouble at home, financial worries just after Christmas, relatives in bother, sickness, maybe things not working out the way that you'd planned that they would. You think you have nothing to look forward to in 2020. In fact, you maybe even fear what 2020 might bring to you, and you think that Jesus isn't around, that he just doesn't care. Is that what you think this morning? The one that gathers your tears in a bottle? And you think he doesn't care. Sometimes Jesus will allow us to be at our wit's end because we don't realize Jesus is all we need until we realize that Jesus is all we have. As in this case, sometimes our storms are designed actually to bring us closer to him. We also see here the Savior. Perhaps as the disciples were frantically rowing and battling and They were saying to themselves, how could Jesus allow this to happen? He has sent us out here in the middle of the storm to drown whilst he's back there on the shore, safe and dry with those people. Where is he when we need him the most? They didn't realize Jesus was on the mountain actually praying for them. You see, the reason why Jesus is not in the boat with them is because the Father and the Son are on the mountain talking about the storm. I wonder, are you in a storm today? Are there things happening in your life that you cannot explain, that no one else knows about, things that seem to be completely out of your control, and you're wondering this morning where Jesus is in all of this? Well, I'll tell you where he is this morning. He's interceding for you in prayer. Jesus is praying for you because he knows all about your storm, and he knows all about your need. Did you notice here that the disciples aren't praying? 
In fact, this story is told in three of the Gospels, and nowhere does it say that the disciples were praying. Oh, it says they were frightened. It says they were crying. It says they were terrified. But it doesn't say they were praying. Job, on the other hand, he could worship God in his storm, but the disciples couldn't pray in their storm. See the difference in faith. They had no desire to pray for themselves. You see, even when you don't feel like praying, perhaps because of illness or sadness or anger or disappointment or tiredness or even fear, Jesus is still praying for you. So don't think for a moment that he doesn't care because he does. It's easy to be a Christian in calm waters, but not so easy in stormy seas. When things are going well, it is easy to be a Christian. In fact, you can fake it being a Christian in calm waters. But when the storms arise and when persecution comes, that's when fake Christians and even fake friends melt away. That's when real Christians step up to the mark. Don't wait until the storm has passed before you worship and pray. Friends, pray when the waves are coming over the side of your boat. Worship God when it looks like you're going to capsize. Because faith is at its strongest when faith is the only thing that you have. It was C.H. Spurgeon who said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. It was when it seemed all hope was gone that now Jesus appears here walking on the water. You see, God is always there even when we don't see him. It was no big deal here for Jesus to walk on the water. After all, it was Jesus who created the sea in the beginning. It was no big thing for him now to walk on the sea now. And this is encouraging to us all this morning because it tells us that there is nothing created that is not under God's control. Everything serves God, you see. Even the wind and the waves in your life at this moment cannot move without God's permission. Do you feel like You're losing the battle and you feel sometimes that you just can't go on. Well, friend, God is in charge of your storm today. The storm may be great, but Jesus is much greater than the storm. He may allow his people to be tried for a season and to be tossed here and there in the storms of life. But Christ will always come to your aid, even if it is during the fourth watch of the night. The disciples must have been exhausted They had just fed thousands of people. They expected to get some rest on a smooth crossing, but all they got was a storm. They cry out in fear at this image coming towards them. In their darkest hour, Jesus comes to them. And you know, sometimes what we fear the most can often turn out to be our greatest blessing. Maybe you're in a situation now that you see no way out and you see no one coming to help. In fact, All you see are obstacles and problems, and all you see in 2020 is yet more misery. When you started out on your voyage, whether it was your marriage or your career or your university course or your service for God, the weather was beautiful, the seas were calm, there was no wind, there was no waves. But then you met with the storm before you before you got safely to the other side, before you reached the harbor, before you completed your journey. Friends, don't be surprised to see Jesus coming to your rescue in your darkest hour. It could be a word of encouragement from a friend, a verse of scripture, an unexpected open door, even a change of circumstances. 
Our Joel, was, he was born six weeks premature. He was a, a very ill little baby. I was looking for a shred of encouragement from anywhere. You were a got it. I got it from an ungodly soldier at work. 21 years later, Joel is probably stronger than the whole lot of us put together. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to worship the golden image. Nazar, he looked into the flames and he, he saw four people, declared the fourth to be like the Son of God. Jesus didn't come to those boys when they were arrested or when they were being interrogated by Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't come to them when, when they were being dragged off to the fiery furnace. Jesus didn't come to them when the furnace was being heated up seven times hotter. Didn't even come to them when they were being thrown into the fiery furnace. When did he come? He came when those boys were in the fiery furnace. Even when you can't understand God's plan or sense his presence, he is always there. He wraps his arms with those nail-pierced hands around you because he loves you. Never forget that. And then thirdly, we see here the sailor. You know, Peter was called by Jesus to get out of the boat. Peter knew he couldn't do it by himself. Without me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus says. We can't do the Lord's will by ourselves. For the Lord to walk on the sea was a, was a miracle, but for Peter to walk on the sea, it was an even greater miracle. And this shows us all this morning what great things God can do through those who hear his voice, obey his voice, and follow him. So what do you think is impossible? God can carry you through the worst of difficulties and the greatest of trials. Sometimes it's actually a good sign that the wind and the waves are going crazy around you because it means you're being or about to be effective for God. The devil is angry. And something great is about to happen. Some miracle is about to take place in your life. Now, it might have seemed that Peter would have been safer in the boat. But by stepping out, he was actually obeying Jesus. If Peter had stayed in the boat, he never would have known what it was like to step out in faith. And folks, if you choose to stay in the boat in 2020, you will never, ever learn to walk on water. What might seem crazy to you and what might make you look foolish, it actually might be the making of you. God will accept your trials and your mistakes, but he will not accept your excuses for not having tried. So folks, step out of the boat. And yes, you may fail many times, but if God has called you, you just keep trusting, keep trying, and you will succeed. If you stay in the safety of the boat... The fact is, you will never experience the miracles. And we all know there is no shortage of people to tell you that it can't be done, or it won't work, or we've never done it that way before. But don't you allow those people to kill your dream. There are plenty of Christians that would actually prefer if you did stay in the boat in 2020, because when you step out of the boat, it makes them look bad, and it exposes their laziness. And you may think it is safer to stay and work, and pay a mortgage, and to step out in faith and to go to Bible college. And you may think it's safer to warm a pew on a Sunday morning than to be a youth leader or Sunday school teacher or children's worker, or even knock on doors to invite people to our meetings, even invite people to the conference. You may think it's safer to pastor an established church and receive a healthy wage in fancy months 
than to plant a church in some jungle. It is even safer maybe to retire and play golf than to persevere and pray. But the fact is you may never see the miracles of lives being transformed by the power of God. Peter here, he took his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. But if you keep your eyes on the Lord, you will do things that you once thought you would never, ever do. If God has called you to do it, you will achieve it. Maybe like Peter, God has called you to do something for him and you've maybe started out well and you've been obedient, but now you just feel like giving up. You can even see the other shore from where you are, but you feel like it's just not all worth all the effort or all the hassle or all the abuse that you have to take. And maybe you think that 2020 would be the year to step back from the work and give up. But don't you see, you had enough faith to take the first step. And because of that step of obedience, you're now closer to the Lord than you were before, certainly before you got out of the boat. God has promised you something and he will perform it. So just you keep your eyes off the storm and keep focused on the Lord. Troubles and trials may disturb us in our duty, but don't let those same troubles and trials drive you from your duty. Just you keep pressing forwards and God will open that door and God will answer that prayer. Don't think about your enemies. Think about Christ. Don't focus on your enemies, but focus on Christ and he will see you through. We have nothing to fear if we're in the Lord's will. Yes, the water may seem deep, and in fact, it may even get deeper. But if Jesus says to come, then we have no need to be afraid. If Jesus says come, you will be safer in the water than you would have been in the boat. The people in the Titanic, those that stayed in the Titanic, they went down with the Titanic. So God will be with you. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. It took courage for Peter to step out of the boat. And it will take courage for you to step out in faith and to keep going in faith. You may not have the resources to do what God is calling you to do next year, but Jesus has. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills as well. People may discourage you, ridicule you, ignore you. But if Jesus calls you out of the boat, you must go no matter how impossible the task may seem. I think it was Amy Carmichael Uh, She was called to be a missionary. The other missionaries thought that she wouldn't last six months. Well, Amy, she died 53 years later in India, and she never came home. In spite of your failures and your struggles and your limitations, if you use the gifts that God has given you and you keep trusting in him, 2020 will be your greatest year yet. The gospel call to lost sinners is also to come to Christ. To commit your soul to his keeping and he will hold you fast. You must call upon the Lord to be saved. But you will never do that unless you understand that you are sinking without any hope to rescue or save yourself. Peter was a fisherman and he probably could have swam at least a little bit. And, you know, maybe he thought as he jumped out of the boat that if he couldn't walk on the water, then at least he could swim and save himself. But when he began to sink, it was then that he realized he couldn't do anything to save himself. The waves were too high, the wind was too strong. And the reality is, folks, none of us can do anything to save ourselves. The storms of life are too strong, the current is dragging us under, and we all need the Lord to intervene. 
It was only when Peter began to sink that the Lord did what Peter couldn't do, and he immediately stretched forth his hand, caught him, and brought him into the ship. Peter cried, Lord, save me. Three little words, and the Lord immediately saved him. And friend, the reality is this this morning. If you're still in your sin, still lost without a savior, three little words from your repentant heart will make an everlasting difference. Three little words can save your soul. Three little words can change your eternal destiny. Three little words can change your address from hell to heaven if they come from your heart. There's also a big lesson here for believers this morning. There is a great satanic attack, and I don't need to tell you that today, a satanic attack on Christian marriages, on Christian young people, on families. Recently, pupils in a throne secondary school put on a Christmas play that included a seance. A seance is when you attempt to make contact with the dead. I mean, talk about asking for trouble as if our young people don't have enough to deal with today. There's also a constant attack on those who have got out of the boat and are busy serving the Lord. So it's not uncommon for marriages to be on the rocks, for kids to get into trouble, for pastors, for elders, for Sunday school teachers and organists to fall and begin to sink. Not uncommon. So if Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, can immediately forgive a woman that's caught in adultery, can immediately forgive a woman who had five different men, and can immediately reach out and lift up a sinking Peter, then who am I when a brother or sister is fallen not to accept them back into the boat? There are no protests here from the other disciples. There is no one condemning Peter for what he did. But what did the disciples do? What what does it say here in verse 33? Well, it says, Well, they accept him back into the boat. They joined in unity to worship God. They held a praise service, probably to thank God for lifting up Peter and for calming the storm. And folks, that's where the church has lost it today. That's where the church falls far short today. There is very little compassion for a fallen brother or sister these days. No praise services for a brother or sister who repents and comes home. When a brother falls and begins to sink, we tend to hold their head underneath the water. But the Lord Jesus comes along and he lifts them out of the water. Why is it when Jesus forgives a man or a woman, all their Christians who think they're so perfect themselves make them do penance? There's no no one here this morning who believes in purgatory. But why is it when Jesus lifts a brother up that some of us want to make them spend the rest of their lives in a type of purgatory. Remember the prodigal son headed off to the far country. He repented, he came home. You remember the three things the father gave him? He gave him a robe, he gave him sandals, he gave him a ring. That ring was a signet ring. It had the family seal on it. And that meant that the father gave the son back authority to do business in his father's name. That boy had been in the far country sleeping with prostitutes. He had just come home, still smelling of pig dung, and yet the father gave him full authority to represent him again. Stephen spoke about the the gift of mercy in the prayer meeting the other night. 
We all need the gift of mercy. And if you have that gift, please exercise it. If I fall in 2020, I hope that you'll be like the Lord and you come along and you lift me up. And if you fall in 2020, I promise to do the same for you. There's no point saying that you won't fall because none of us knows what next year is going to bring. It's very easy to fall. Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, but he also blinds the Christians, you see. He will cover you in a blindness so that you don't even realize you are sinking. Christian friend told me one time that he, he was actually sleeping with another man's wife and he just thought they were being good friends. Totally blind. If the devil can deceive a third of the angels, he can deceive you. Maybe the reason why Christians have never been in a storm or they've never sank during a storm is because they've never actually got out of the boat. And so you've never done anything to threaten the God of this world. And so he just, he leaves you alone. He thinks you're not, you're just not worth the effort. When our Joshua was two, his favorite film was Saving Private Ryan. And he'd watched that film from beginning to end. He rewinded the tape and he'd watched it all over again. There's a scene in that film um, of an American soldier sitting at the top of the stairs, crouched down, frozen in fear, loaded rifle. All he had to do was press the trigger. And he's watching his colleague fight to the death of the German soldier. And eventually the German soldier, he gets the better of the American soldier and puts a dagger through his heart. And the German soldier gets up and walks towards this other soldier, still sitting there frozen in fear. And he looks at him. And he walks past him down the stairs and out, and out through the door. As if to say, you're no threat to me. You're not even worth the effort. You see, he wasn't going to waste his time attacking him. Because he was no threat to him. And the reality is the ones who are attacked by Satan are the ones who have got out of the boat and are a threat to Satan. Some survive. Unfortunately, some sink. But at least they try. And if you fight to the front, close to the front line, you will get injured. So don't be too hard on your brothers or sisters who begin to sink because at least they fought the enemy. Hollywood has made other films about kidnapped and captured soldiers. And special forces have been sent in like the SAS to, to war zones to rescue them and to bring them home. Maybe the time has come. Maybe even in 2020 to do just that. Maybe we should get out into the battlefield, locate our wounded, bring them home. Get them back into the boat. The proverb says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. So the righteous may fall, in fact, may fall more than once, but they will rise again, with or without our help. If we're a stumbling block to the recovery, what we're doing is we're working against God and we're pulling down what God is lifting 
Friend, if you come to Christ for salvation, it will not mean you will be kept out of the storms. But it does mean that Jesus Christ will keep you from sinking into the deep. The Lord's hand is always stretched out to every believer to keep them from sinking. And if he has snatched you as a brand out of the burning, he's going to catch you out of the water as well. He gathers his children together just as a hen does gather her brood under her wings. Peter came into the boat with Jesus. The fact is, if we walk with Jesus, if we stick with Jesus, even through the fiercest of storms, one day we're going to reign with him in his kingdom. When Jesus came into the boat, immediately the storm ceased. And when Christ comes into his soul, he makes the winds and the waves and the storms cease forever. No longer will you need to fear death. For there is no delay, there is no such thing as soul sleep, there's no such thing as reincarnation, there's no such thing as purgatory. The moment we draw our last breath on earth is the moment that we draw our first breath in heaven. It is truly absent from the body and present with the Lord. The disciples declared here in verse 33, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. You see, no one but the Creator that day could have multiplied the loaves and the fish. No one but the Creator could have walked on the water and calmed the storm. They had all the evidence that they needed, and now they confess their faith. And now we begin to see why Jesus allows the storms in our lives. It's to bring us closer to him. Now, I'm not saying that the disciples didn't believe that that he was the Son of God before, But because of the storm, they now believe it much better. The storm had brought them even closer to the Lord. And your storm will do exactly the same thing. Now, no one would choose the storm. But when it is finally passed, we thank God for it. When your faith takes a battering in a storm, you come out to the other side with an even greater faith than you had before because it's only when you were in the storm that you were able to witness the miracles. The third miracle, obviously, was when Jesus calmed the storm. And my dear friend, one day soon, perhaps even in 2020, the storm in your life will cease. You see, God is in charge of the storm. And when God has accomplished His purpose, it will end. In 2020, if a brother or sister is going through a storm, folks, don't you let the devil use you to make it any worse. But reach out to them. Lift them up. A good verse for us all to remember in 2020 is this. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And don't get to the end of 2020 and look back at another wasted year and think what might have been. But look back and say what has been. Look at all that God has helped me to do because I was obedient and I was prepared to step out of the boat for Christ. 